0: Well, um, let's go to the Lord in prayer, first of all, and uh, trust Him with our morning and see what He has for us. Lord, we uh, come to You this morning because we need You. We are a people who are hurting, Uh, our nation is hurting, and uh, our world is hurting. Think about what's going on in Turkey and what's going on in Syria and what's going on in other parts of our world that we don't even hear about anymore or it has become white noise that Christians are dying daily for their faith. And here in our own country, we have uh, strange and ungodly laws being passed. We have rebellion in the streets. We have our police officers and other first responders being targeted and shot. We live in a world that is very fallen and we are seeing the fruits of that fallenness and uh, it, it saddens us and uh, makes us concerned about our country and about our future, except that we've read Revelation and we know how it ends. We know that, that you win and so we, uh, we take confidence and we take comfort in you, though we are still in the midst of this. Lord, I do pray that you would work in our nation. I pray that you would wake up your church. That we would live the gospel out in our lives. That we ourselves would be a people who seek you, who um, follow after you, who obey you. And that we would be an outreaching people. uh, That we would take this gospel of salvation in Christ, the grace of God, the mercy of God in our lives, and that we would go and tell people about it that others would come to know you. Lord, we need that. We need you to work. And I pray that you would wake up your church in this country, that Christians would come to life and begin to follow you where they have not followed you, that they would begin to open their mouths and tell people about you. Lord, uh, I, I, have, I have no ultimate hope in government uh, to, to um, turn the course of our country. I have hope only in you to do such a thing. And so we come to you today and ask, Lord, that you would work. And, Lord, even as we look at these passages and this topic that we're going to be talking about today, Lord, we as a country need to do this. We as Christians in this country need to do this. And I need to do this. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning in these next few minutes that we have together that we would be able to uh, uh, eliminate distraction, that we would be able to be here with your word, listening, listening, to you speak to us. And I pray that you, by your Spirit, would speak to us, that we would be sensitive, that we would be receptive, and that we would be responsive to your Spirit. Lord, we ask for you to work this morning. We ask that you would be lifted up. We ask that you would speak to us. We need you, Lord. Our nation needs you, and, and our church needs you, and I need you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking for the past actually really all year we have been uh, kind of dipping in and out of second chronicles 7:14 and uh, thinking about I didn't even know the news that Monty shared about about what's going on this morning but thinking about the chaos and the difficulty the the evil that's going on in our country the the confusion the place we find ourselves, um, I think our passage fits probably uh more than ever if you look at second chronicles chapter 7 that's way back in the old testament and if you're reading the pew bible in front of you that's page 364 so you can turn right to it and uh this is if you look at chapter 7 there You'll see that this is uh, the dedication of the temple. So this is King Solomon, Old Testament. Uh, he has just built the temple. He's dedicating the temple, and there have been sacrifices, offerings, and things like that to prepare the temple uh, to be their place of worship there in Jerusalem for the entire nation of Israel. And uh, and you have Solomon's prayer, and 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 uh, starting in verse eleven of Second Chronicles chapter seven, I just want to read a little bit and see if maybe. Some of it strikes a chord. Thus, Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And so we're we're in a time right now in, in our country where we, we could use some healing. And so we have been talking for this entire calendar year about this passage and about what it means to be God's people who are called by His name and what it means that, that we would uh, humble ourselves before God. And that's something that we need to do. And so we've, we've hit hard on that and we've talked a lot about who God is, about God and His holiness, about the fact that He's high and lifted up and that He is beyond us, that He's not like us, He's other, He's different, and He's huge and He's, He's holy and, and here we find ourselves... And we should be humbled by our fallenness and by our finiteness before such a God. And so that's a, those are humbling truths, and we spent quite a while talking about that. And, and today, I want to talk about the next part. He says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, we've talked about that. And then he says, and pray and seek my face. And so I want to talk about prayer and seeking God's face. And so uh, that, that's where we're going to be this morning on those two points right there and they're very closely related to one another. That's why the two are together. Most of you know, probably everybody knows that I became a Christian uh when I was 18 years old, my senior year of high school and uh but I grew up here in Fallon and just down the road from us was a was a Mormon family and they would they would pray before meals and I hung out with them quite a bit and and I remember one day when uh when the dad asked me if I would pray over the meal and he may as well have said, sprout wings and fly, because I had no clue how to do that. I mean, I didn't know how to start. I didn't know how to end. I didn't know what you were supposed to say. I had no idea whatsoever. And uh, and so um, I felt pretty stupid, and I probably argued with him for a while. Uh, and, and I don't think I ended up praying, because, you know, how are you going to sprout wings and fly? You're not going to. You're going to you're going to fumble and falter, and that's kind of what I did. And so uh, my my point about that is that I have since learned to pray. You'll be happy to know. And uh, it's a good thing, right? That's part of, you know, becoming a Christian. And and so I did eventually learn to pray. But it's also um, to point out the fact that we say a lot of words in here that probably need some defining. And we've read some words already just in this verse this morning that need some defining. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what prayer is, and certainly we're going to talk about what it means to seek God's face. And we're going to start with prayer. So if you would open uh, your Bibles, go to the New Testament, Luke chapter 18. We're kind of going to be here and there in uh, the Bible this morning as we talk about some different things the Lord tells us about prayer and about seeking God's face. Luke chapter 18, and uh, there's, a, there's a parable here that we're going to read. That's page 877 if you're using that pew Bible in front of you. Jesus tells a parable here. And it's a fascinating parable. And so I'm going to read uh, read this to us here, verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. I'll pause there for a second and and tell you, I wish God would always tell us what the point of that parable was. He does that just a couple of times right here, and I think, that's great. (laughs) I can know what the parable means. It's very clear. So he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Okay, so that's the purpose he's going to get across with this coming story. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So he's talking about prayer. He tells that little story to encourage them to pray always and not lose heart in your prayers. Well, first of all, let's define what prayer itself is. We could talk about it for a while probably, but I'll give you this simple definition. Prayer is at its core asking God for what we need. There's a whole lot more involved in that and it can take various forms, but at its very core, it is us asking God for what we need. He's the one who can give us what we need. And ultimately what we need most is him. So in prayer, we're coming to him. That's what we do in prayer. I love this, this story that Jesus tells, because here you have this, this judge, right? And it, and it points out he neither, he neither fears God nor respects man, right? He's not a good judge. Doesn't really care about justice. He's, he's, he, I don't know why he became a judge. I don't know why he's there, but he doesn't, he's not concerned about what God thinks of him and he's not really concerned about what, what other people think of him. And apparently he's not concerned about justice because this widow keeps coming to him and asking again and again and again for justice against her adversary. And he couldn't care less. But even that judge, who's a godless man, even that judge will eventually relent because she keeps pestering him. She keeps coming to him. She keeps coming to him and bringing it up again and again. And finally, he says, enough already. All right, I don't really care about your case. I don't care what God thinks of me. I don't care to uphold justice. That's not the point. But you keep bothering me. So, okay, I will give you justice against your adversary. All right? and so finally, the widow gets her justice. And think about who God is. God, who is himself justice. Who is himself righteousness and love. That God. How much more will he answer his people when they call to him? How much more quickly will he move? If this widow was able to pester that unrighteous judge. And we have a very righteous and holy and loving God who is our God. Do you think we need to pester him? We should try. That's the point. Always pray and don't lose heart. Keep coming to him. He will answer. He will answer. He loves to answer. That's what God does. So that's what is prayer. That's a, that's a little definition of prayer. Let's talk a little bit about some things that hinder prayer. What might hinder prayer? What might what might keep prayer from really working, doing what it's supposed to do? I want us to flip uh, uh, flip to First Peter 3.12. I'll read it to us, and actually we're going to come back to it at one point later on in the message but first peter 3:12 is on page 1015 and here he's quoting from the old testament he's quoting from a psalm peter's talking here and he says in verse 12 he says for the eyes of the lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer that's a good thing right those are all good things that's the guy i want to be right but the face of the lord is against those who do evil it makes sense that sin would hinder prayer it makes sense that there might be some problem in the communication between us and god if we have sin in our lives sin hinders prayer we don't have to dig too deep to to imagine that that's the case it's not real open communication it's not Uh, not really the way it should be that we would act against God and then go to God and ask him to bless what we're doing, right? That makes sense. But there's another hindrance that's clear from the very next paragraph. I hope you kept your finger. I should have told you to keep your finger there in Luke uh, chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. He continues on. Jesus answers that very question with the next parable. Right. He continues on from that same place and he tells the next parable. And you guys know this parable. This is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And I'm just going to read it quickly for us here. Probably we're all familiar with it, but it'd be very good to hear uh, these words. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Pride hinders prayer. Pride hinders prayer. Here you have the Pharisee, the guy who should have had it all together, appeared to have it all together, sure looked like he had it all together. He would be the guy that you would you know, invite to come speak right at your church. He appeared to have it all together. And the other guy was a tax collector. That doesn't just mean IRS agent. It's, you know, even worse than that. <laughs> it's he, he was expected to be corrupt. Not just the system. He himself was expected to take bribes on the side and gather as much extra and kind of tax how he wanted it, regarded, regardless of what the tax structure was supposed to be. He was to get all he could. And, and so this tax collector is very clear in his own mind that he is a sinner. And everyone around him knows that guy is a sinner. And he goes up to the temple and and the Pharisee goes up to the temple and the Pharisee kind of beats his breast and says, I'm awesome, God, you know, you should cheer for me, right? And the tax collector won't even look up because he knows what kind of sinner he is. And all he says is, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he goes away justified. Pride hinders prayer. And if you think about it, if the root of prayer is asking God for the things that we need, then the assumption is that we can't meet our own needs. That's why we're going to God to ask for those things, right? It requires a little bit of humility for us to go to God and ask for Him to work in our lives because we can't meet our own needs. Inherent in true prayer is the belief that we are in a position of need We are in a position of submission before a God who has the grace and the power and the position above us to meet that need. And for the proud person, all of these things are abhorrent. They're hateful. They don't want those things. So either the proud person just won't pray, or he prays like the Pharisee, as though God owes him something and really it's just time to pay up, God. Either way, such prayer won't work there 's one other hindrance that I want to point out: uh, hindrance to prayer and this is this is what I call the waterfall. This is a reference to psalm thirty two and verse six which says uh, which talks about calling out to God when he, when he may be found because in the rush of great waters you 're not going to find him right and I have this image in my mind of being on a little canoe right, and i 'm on this river, not, not a Nevada river, but like you know a real river that <laughs> That you can't just step out of the boat, you know, and pick it up, right? A real river, and you're going along in this little canoe. And uh, and all of a sudden, you turn a corner or whatever, and the water starts getting really fast. And you can see that right there is the waterfall. Is that the time to start heading for the shore? Probably too late. That's my guess. I mean, I'm from Nevada, so I don't really know much about rivers. (laughs) But I'm guessing that by the time you get to the waterfall, the rush of great waters, it's already too late to start trying to paddle for shore. I mean, you're going to try anyway, but I doubt you're going to make it. The time to start being cautious was earlier before the water sped up and it got all white and it was about to head over the cliff, right? And so I I call this the waterfall that we need to be calling upon the Lord. We need to be seeking him. We need to learn to pray when things are calm and good, when you don't really feel like you need to, right? You don't, when you're, when you're in that canoe, you don't really feel like you need to head for shore until the water gets white and you start hearing the roar and you're about to head over. That's when you start feeling like you need to, but it's already too late. We need to learn to pray when the water's calm and going slow. We need to learn to seek safety in the Lord even during that time. If we wait until that last time, of course we're going to pray and we should pray. But it's a a rough time to learn how to pray. You may be too late. All right, so how do I do it? We talked about what prayer is. We talked about what hinders prayer. Well, how do I do it? Well, of course, we know the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6. And so we actually could turn there real quick and and look at that. It won't be too long at all. Matthew chapter 6 is page 811. Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. And he says in verse 9, pray then like this. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so there we have a model for prayer. All right? Jesus is modeling for us prayer. Now, he's not telling us to recite that prayer over and over. He doesn't say, pray then these words. He says, pray then like this. Or in this way, he's giving us a pattern. Nothing wrong with praying the Lord's Prayer. But it's not a spell. It's not an incantation. It's a pattern for us, for how we should uh, pattern ourselves or our our prayer life. I have a book here by Don Carson called Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And it's an excellent book. I recommend it. Uh, Dr. Carson is a very clear teacher. And he has a paragraph here talking about the Lord's Prayer. And I just want to read you this brief paragraph. Talking about this passage, he says, there are six petitions in this prayer. It's appropriate that the first three concern God directly. His name, his kingdom, his will. The Christian's primary concerns, therefore, are that God's name be hallowed, that his kingdom come, and that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Only then are the next three petitions introduced. And they have to do with man directly. Our daily food, our sins, or our debts, and our temptations. And so he gives a pattern for us there about prayer that's very helpful. It starts with God's concerns. It starts with a concern for God's name, for God's kingdom, and for God's will. And then it moves on to my needs. My food, my sins, right, my life. Those kind of things. And so, uh, that's, that's a simple, uh, way to pattern prayer. Another simple guideline is the word acts, right? Not, not the book of acts, but A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, right? Those four steps. That's a very simple guideline that will, that will help you in your prayer life to stay focused on the Lord and set your mind and your prayers in relation to Him as you're praying about the situation that's going on in your life. So, acts, adoration, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. But uh, it's important to think beyond just how to pray and instead focus on when to pray. And I don't mean when like what time of day, but I mean when in your life to pray. I I ran the Tough Mudder once. It was like 2, 3 years ago, I don't remember. I guess it was no, oh, 2 or 3 years ago, I don't remember but uh, the tough mutter is like a 10 mile obstacle course essentially it's up in the mountains so it's at it's at elevation and uh, you're running for 10 miles and you're doing some other stuff in between and and uh, i i thought it was a lot of fun i really enjoyed it but i was amazed to be about 3 miles into it so you're just starting to really work you know, at that point, you're sweating pretty well and, and you've recovered from the ice bath they made you go through and stuff like that. So, but you're having fun. You're working hard about three miles into it. You've been climbing uphill the whole way. And then you see people sitting by the, by the trail leaning against a tree. And you could tell they hadn't trained for this. They hadn't prepared for this. It's almost like they woke up that morning and like saw it on the news. Hey, the Tough Mudders today. I think I'll go do that, you know, and, and they jumped out there and put on their tennis shoes and, and, and went and started to run the thing and, and they paid the price two, three miles into it. And, and, uh, and so, you know, when, when you're going to train for something like that, you've got to put some time in ahead of time. You've got to put that work in. You can't just go run a couple laps around the track the day before and think that you're going to be in shape to run the Tough Mudder, right? Well, the Bible talks to us about when we should pray. I don't mean just what time of day, though it does talk a whole lot about early in the morning. I really don't like that part, but early in the morning I will seek you. David says that a lot. I don't know if he was just a morning person or if God really likes that, but Jesus was up early praying too, so maybe that's important, praying early in the morning. But what I want to talk about is what the Bible says about when we should pray. And I want to read us just a just a few verses here, just, just kind of go through them in bullet points. The Bible says pray without ceasing. So that's always. Uh, The Bible says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Be constant in prayer. In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Always pray and don't lose heart. Jesus just said. So we should pray a lot. And always. So let's pray more. I think the application is very direct. Let's pray more. Let's pray more in private when no one can see. And let's pray more together. In an organized fashion, we have a prayer meeting every Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. We get together and we pray in an organized fashion. We should do that. We should be together praying. And we should be together praying. In a few minutes, I'm going to be done preaching. You guys are going to be talking with each other. And someone's going to share with you about a difficult thing going on in their life. Stop and pray right there. We're in church. It's not even awkward. It's not like you're standing on the street corner, right? But pray with them. We should be praying together. Let's pray more. And let's pray more together. We need to learn to be in prayer always. I want to develop a... a, the kind of life that lays every situation and every relationship and every circumstance before the Lord, asking for His help and for His guidance. Repeatedly. Always. I want to develop that kind of an open line of communication. There was an interview with Billy Graham where someone asked him about praying without ceasing. And and uh, he said, yeah, I, I do that. And the guy said, you're praying right now? And he said, yeah. So it can be done. It was commanded. So, you know, we could probably figured it could be done, but taking everything to the Lord always, that doesn't mean you have to have dual conversations going on all the time. That might be a little weird, but bring everything before him, invite him into every circumstance, have him in your conversations, in what you look at, in what you think about, in solving a problem, in whatever you're doing, have him there with you, invite him in. So let's pray. God wants his people who are called by his name to humble themselves and pray So let's learn to pray together and alone and always. He also wants us always to seek his face or seek his presence. Flip to the Old Testament, if you would, to Psalm 105. That should be just right about smack dab in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 105. These have been our memory verses Some months ago, probably some years ago, actually. Starting in verse 1 of Psalm 105, that's page 503. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him, sing praises to Him, tell of all His wondrous works. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. So what does that mean? What does it mean to seek his face, right? We looked at 2 Chronicles 7.14. It talks about seeking his face. And here it says, seek his presence. Well, it's actually literally the same word. His face and his presence are the same thing. It means to to come into his presence, to be there with him, to be in conversation with him, to be... uh, Well, it's a little hard to explain, but there's an illustration from, from Proverbs 29 and verse 26. It gives this illustration talking about people seeking the face of an earthly leader so that they can get justice. And of course the point of that psalm is or the point of that proverb is you know you're going to get justice from God only not from this earthly leader. But still he uses the same phrase there seek the face of the leader. Well think about if you had some petition that you were going to take to Congress or some issue going on a big deal that you needed to get taken care of you couldn't get it solved right here and so you wanted to call your congressman. You wanted to talk to your senator or something like that, right? So imagine you're seeking his face. That's what you're doing. You want an audience with that person, right? You don't, you don't just want a phone conversation, though you would probably settle for that if, if you had to. But if you really could, what would you want? Well, you'd, you'd want a personal audience, right? And so you would set up a meeting. You would hope you'd be able to set up a meeting. You'd want to be face right? to face, right? You'd want to look each other in the eye so that you can accomplish what you want to accomplish regarding this issue. You'd try to limit distractions, right? You would turn your cell phone off before you went there, I'm guessing, right? You wouldn't answer Facebook while you're in the office, you know, talking to him, right? You would try and limit distractions. You wouldn't be gazing out the window. And finally, you would do your best to make him positively disposed towards you. By that I mean you would show up on time. You would probably be dressed appropriately, right? You would follow whatever rules of decorum for his office, Right, you wouldn't have muddy shoes. You wouldn't, you know, you'd be dressed appropriately, things like that. Uh, you'd use proper decorum uh, because you're respecting his office, right? And all of these things are so that you can have an audience, so that you can seek his face because you want to be able to look this person in the eye and say, "Here's my situation," and you don't want him to say, "Well, you're a jerk. I don't really care about your situation." Right? If you showed up late, if you were checking Facebook, you know, if you had your muddy boots on, if you were a jerk to the guy, right? He wouldn't be positively disposed. You want to talk to this person and you want to be in his presence in such a way that he cares to listen to you. Well, that's a picture, right? That's just an image. That's a picture kind of what it is like to seek God and seek his face. It's not just to talk to him. Right. Prayer isn't even just talking to him. Right. But prayer and and seeking his face are closely connected. But we want to seek him in this kind of way. So that's, that's a little bit of what it, what it means to seek God's face, what, what it's like. You want to be in his presence. You want to sit with him. You want to talk with him. You want to receive from him what he has for you regarding your life and regarding the situation. You're going to sit there. So that's what it means to seek his face. So what hinders seeking God's presence, seeking his face? Well, it's going to sound very similar to what we talked about before with prayer. Psalm 10.4 says, In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. Pride tells me that I'm in a fine place spiritually. You know, I mean, after all, I'm a Christian, right? I've, I've you know, I've, I've become a Christian. I'm, I'm forgiven. And, uh, and so I don't, you know, what, what am I going to gain by seeking God's face? I already have salvation. What am I going to? And so we, we end up not even approaching him. And the psalmist in Psalm 10 says, that's a wicked, wicked attitude. Instead, we are to seek the Lord. So pride will certainly hinder our seeking God. First Peter 3, again, first Peter 3:12 that we talked about earlier, talks about sin hindering our seeking God's presence. Sin will hinder our seeking God's presence. I want to think about that for just a second. You know in your own life, you can think in your own life, you don't have to look very far, to come up with a few things in your life that really inspire you to seek the Lord, that really push you to look for Him that push you to go to his word because you want to learn more, that, that push you to want to be with other Christians so that you can have good Christian fellowship, that that push you to want to pray, read God's word, meditate on it. There are some things in your life that cause you to want to do that. You might have friendships. You might have people to, that, that you're around, and when you're around them, you just think, man, that person really pushes me to want to love Jesus. When you find that person, by the way, you need to make that person a friend, and you need to spend time with that person. Find ways to spend time with that person. If there's certain music that causes you to want to do that. When I listen to instrumental hymns, for some reason that does that for me. I I, I like Christian music and I, I like, you know, different kinds of music and stuff like that. And I love hymns, but something about a just piano hymns, I don't, I don't know what it is. The words are scrolling through my mind and it just makes me want to sing to God. And I don't sing a lot, okay? It drives me to want to seek God. God's face cultivate those things on the other hand you know about things in your own life that do the exact opposite right there are things that are distracting to you there are relationships that you have probably that are distracting to you that after interacting with this person or after doing this thing or or whatever you you kind of just want to close this up and not even really think about the Lord right there are some things you do called sin that make you not even want to look God in the eye anymore You'd rather just not be there. You're kind of like Adam and Eve and you just want to head for the hills when you hear God coming. Obviously, we need to cut that out of our lives. But there are other things that are more subtle that are just distracting. Things that will keep us from God's word. I remember reading, I don't have any idea where, it was in a book talking about missionaries, about the change that happened on the mission field with the advent of email. And this person was observing that in the old days, Missionaries would wake up and and open their Bibles to see to see what God had to say to them, and they would read God's Word and want to find out what God had to say. And then this person writing this, who had observed span of years, said, "With the advent of email, missionaries would wake up and open email to see what their friends had to say to them, to see what their families had to say to them. It's just distraction. That's not that's not sin to open your email, but it, it can be distracting." So there 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 are certain things in your life that will keep you from God's word, that will keep you from seeking God, where you don't want to anymore, you don't, you know, you don't really have the time, or I'm busy and I've got all this stuff going on, or there's stuff that even when you try, it's it's competing for your thoughts, it's competing for your affections, for your love. Let's learn to limit that stuff, cut that stuff out, or at least put it in a place where it does not get to compete with God for your attention. Check email later. Check Facebook later. After God's word, let's develop those things. Let's let's learn to do that. So those are some hindrances. I want to talk quickly here. I'm I'm about out of time, but I want to talk quick, quickly about how do I seek God's presence? How do I seek His presence? Colossians three tells us that it involves the mind. It involves the mind. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. We're to set our minds thinking about God, thinking about heavenly things, and keep your mind focused there. Keep your mind focused there. Seek what he seeks love what he loves value what he values or as Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 4 whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is lovely whatever is commendable if there is any excellence if there is anything worthy of praise think about these things Philippians 4 8 so it involves the mind second of all it involves the heart there's more than just the mind. It's not a mind game. It's not a mind trick. It's not just the mind. It certainly is the mind, but it's not only the mind. It also involves the heart. First Chronicles twenty two nineteen tells us, now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. The heart talking here is not, <clears throat> not just the center part of your chest that does this and makes blood go everywhere. It's the center of your being. It's who you are in essence. It's it's all of you. It's what's important about you. It's you. It's your heart. Set your heart and set your mind both to seek after God. Make it your life's ambition. Make it your highest priority to seek after God. Set your mind to it. Set your will to it. Set your life to it. Set your plans to it. To seek the Lord. Make that our top priority, our greatest mission, our greatest purpose in life to seek God. So, church, is seeking God your greatest purpose in life? Simple question. Greatest purpose. Is it to seek God? Could you tell that by looking at your calendar? Could you tell that by looking at your bank statement? that your greatest purpose is to seek God? That's a tough question. That's a tough question for me. I really didn't want to like type it out and stuff and read it to you. It's tough. But God wants us to seek Him uppermost in our lives. Put that at the top of your list of things to do. The top. Seek Him with your mind. Think about what He tells us about Himself and His Word. Meditate on His Word. Memorize His Word. Be amazed at His great love for us. Be amazed at the gospel that He would send His Son, who's holy and righteous and eternal and has always had perfect fellowship with the Father, that He would send Him to earth, like Chris said, to become like us, to learn our language, to live here, and then to die for your guilt. Be amazed that God would do that for you. Seek Him with your mind. Seek Him and His mercies with your mind. Seek him with your whole being, with all that you are. Seeking his face involves all that you are, including your affections and your passions, as well as your thoughts. You can't leave some part out of your, li- out of your life, or some part of your life out of this equation and seek God and think that's going to work. You have to seek him with all that you are. Seek him with your whole being. So thirdly, what is God's response? And this is quick because it's, Awesome and great news. What is God's response? When we pray, He gives. When we pray, He gives. Matthew 7 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. God delights in answering prayer. Remember the persistent widow and the unrighteous judge? God's not like that judge. He loves to answer prayer, He loves to give justice. To his children. He delights in doing that. They, he loves it when they come to him in humble submission and express their needs and their dependency upon him. He loves that. And he loves to respond in that. Of course, we know that his answer to your request may be yes, and it may be no, and it may be not now, but he loves to answer, and he's not slow to answer. So what's God's response to, be, to being sought? How does he respond? Well, he responds when we seek him by being found. He lets himself be found. First Chronicles 28.9 says, If you seek him, he will be found by you. Period. Is there better news? If you seek after God, he will be found by you. God doesn't hide himself from us. If he did, we would be walking around like blind people, trying to discern from the universe meaning for life. And you know people that do that. Trying to discern what my real purpose is, what my real value is, why am I here? Right? But God doesn't hide himself from us. He shows himself to us. He shows himself to us in his word. And he shows himself to us ultimately in his son. He tells us who he is. He makes himself known to us. And when we seek him, he will be found by us seek the lord in his presence and he will be found by you and what does he what does he do ultimately when we seek him he's found and he rewards he rewards i love hebrews 11:6 talks about he rewards those who seek him whoever would draw near to god must believe that he exists And that he rewards those who seek him. He gives that reward. And of course the greatest reward that he could give. And the greatest reward that we need. Is him. Himself. He gives himself to us. God shows himself. He answers prayer. He lets himself be known. And he rewards those who seek him. He rewards us with himself. So if we think back to Psalm 105. And thinking about all of those truths. Think about these verses again. Oh give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength church. Seek his presence continually. He'll be found by you and He will reward you. He answers. And so when we think back to 2 Chronicles 7.14 and we think about what He asks us to do, how encouraging is it to know that He answers those prayers? If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face. I want to do that. And I I want us to do that as a church. I want that to be a normal part, not just a normal part. I want it to be our overriding purpose that we would seek God, that we would seek his presence. Let's pray. Lord, we seek you together right now and we have sought you in your word. We have we have desired to learn from you. We've desired to find out from you what you have for us. We've desired to be empowered by you to do the things that you have for us to do lord we need direction we need help ultimately we need you and so we look for you and we cling to you i pray for your blessing the blessing that that you think is absolutely the best for these people i pray it for them in jesus name amen here's my prayer for you as our benediction this is uh, from Second Thessalonians. Paul says, To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And you're dismissed.